welcome everybody to Monday Night Live. My name's Derek Carden, and tonight I've got uh, Graham Jones, a great friend of mine, the internet uh, psychologist. He's uh, just finished teaching at Buckingham University, where he works four days a week, and uh, he's just gone into his office, switched on the broadband, and he's with us. Let me tell you a little bit about Graham. We first met when we served the Professional Speaking Association on the board, and at uh, one board meeting, we looked at each other and we said, we've got to get hold of this and we've got to negotiate uh, properly. Graham is actually a psychologist. He's known as the internet uh, psychologist. He was a stage electrician for a number of pop groups in the past, and he's written 33 books. I said 28 in my newsletter. I need to apologize uh, to him. <laughs> it's 33, and he's got a deadline to write his 34th, which I think is in about two weeks' time. That's called studying online. He's a sought-after commentator, and those of you that were listening to uh, BBC Radio Reading at seven o'clock this morning, I think it was BBC Radio Reading, you would have Radio Kent. Radio Kent, while well, he lives yep. in Reading, but uh, yeah. So Graham, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. It's the third time you've been on. We want to catch up on all the things we normally talk about. Um, but tell us first, what were you teaching a quarter of an hour well, ago? I mean, the, the first thing I have to say is that when you're invited back, it's usually because you've got to apologise So uh, for the previous time. So <laughs> I'm not quite sure. So this afternoon, um, I was teaching second year undergraduates on their uh, course, which is called Disruptive and Emerging Technology. And we were looking at the psychology of how you as an individual can learn to predict the future better and how you can therefore determine what disruption and what emerging technologies are going to affect your business better than without understanding your behaviour in terms of the future. So that's what we were doing this afternoon. So what did you have crystal balls out on the desk or something or what? No, you have a, a two psychological processes um, that enables us to determine how to look at the future. One is loosely called fox or hedgehog. <laughs> so it's, what? It's, that's uh, determining whether you behave like a fox or whether you behave like a hedgehog. Um, and uh, the other is called the TBD process, uh, which was introduced a few years ago by a guy called uh, Dr. Paul Armstrong, who was looking at how businesses um, can use emerging technologies better. Um, and so there's two processes. So there's a process of his called the TBD process. Um, and then there's the process of determining whether or not you're a fox or a hedgehog. OK, well, you've already lost me and I'm, I think you've probably <laughs> lost a lot of people here. So let's move on, shall we? Maybe we'll come back to this and we'll do a degree in it. at some. Well, stage. you asked me what I was teaching this afternoon. I know, I know. it was a mistake, <laughs> wasn't it? So, so what, what were you talking about on BBC Radio Kent this morning? So this morning I was talking about uh, online hate um, because the Kent police has had a significant rise in online hate uh, being referred to them. And so obviously it became of interest to the radio in Kent. And so they wanted to know why do people do things um, that express hatred online, particularly racial hatred online. So I was looking at the psychology of that with them. Okay, well, we need to know about that. I'm not, not going to let you get away with not answering that one. What did you tell them? I told them that the recent research shows us that uh, all these people we know existed before social media came along. So people always had um, elements of hatred within them, but the recent research shows that they are verging on being psychopaths. Um, and all that's happened is that social media has given them a, an outlet for their psychopathy. 
Um, and uh, they asked me what should be done about it. And I said the social media companies should pull their socks up and that the current legislation that's going through is blaming us, the users. So that if you've looked at the bill that's before Parliament at the moment, that bill is about what we do with social media. And there's naff all in it about what the companies should do. Facebook today are going to be announcing billions of results. And I said that they should, um, you know, they're not spending anywhere near enough on dealing with this at source. Uh, they think they're doing it, but they're not. And they're relying on what they think is artificial intelligence. And the artificial intelligence in their algorithms, I said on the radio this morning, was no more intelligent than a worm. Um, so the, the, the social media companies have got into their own echo chambers, making themselves believe their intelligence is really intelligent. It isn't. It's dumb. Wow. And I mean, we were talking about football earlier here, but uh, the foot, the amount of football that goes on, uh, hate goes on yep. for football managers and anybody in the um, in the public arena. I was talking to someone. That, yeah, I was but talking. you as a football fan know, Derek, that even before social media came along, that happened. It happened on the terraces, people shouting things. Yeah, and football's sure. trying to get rid of all of that. But people have always, there have always been people who've expressed racist views and hatred views. We now know that actually some of that is genetic. So some of these people can't do anything about it. Um, so there are genes controlling psychopathy. So we know that um, these people have got uh, problems um, and they've always been like this. There's been a proportion of society that are psychopaths. Uh, we know, for example, that most of the chief executives in the world have a high degree of psychopathy in their makeup. Um, and you can't get to, you know, walk or walk over people to get to that position unless you've got a high degree of psychopathy. So we know that there's lots of negative characteristics about that. So these people always existed. What's different now is that they've got an outlet to say these things of hatred. They had no outlet previously. I used to be a journalist and we'd, they, we would get letters from them and we'd call them the green pen letters because they would always come in green ink. Don't ask me why, but they always would. They would come in green ink and they would go straight in the bin because there was no way we were going to publish those letters. You know, so um, these things, people have now got a route to express themselves and the social media companies are doing naff all in stopping it happening. It's causing huge issues. I mean, yeah, you're right. They were on the terraces, but it didn't go any further than the terraces. That's it. it. You could go yeah, on the yeah. terraces. That was okay. You just ignored it, really, and, and tried to avoid not getting into a punch-up with them. But now they've yeah. got, uh, got an outlet. And uh, I was talking to someone this morning whose uh, son-in-law has uh, took on a job in an association, a charity association, and within a week he'd had uh, a couple of hundred nasty emails or yeah. social media or something i mean that's bonkers yeah yeah so yeah I, I, it's just happening um and it, you know frankly it's got to stop and the bill before parliament at the moment is saying it's our fault okay basically you know they want us to register with you know different ways of registering so that, that we're you know allegedly proper people on social media it's putting all the onus on the users and it's not doing anything really to deal with the problem okay well while we're on social media and the internet um give us an update i mean six months ago when you joined us you said the internet was overloaded you said 30 percent of emails go missing i've been putting that in my newsletter no one believes me i don't think um what is the what is the latest update 
Well, it's interesting, actually, because one of the exercises that I did with the students this afternoon was ask them uh, to use some of the techniques that we've been dealing with in the, in the lecture to actually write a prediction for what they thought was going to happen by the end of 2022, so in 14, 15 months' time. So I wasn't asking them to predict massively into the future, so they won't even graduated. So they'll still be students um, in that time. So I was asking them to predict uh, what would happen. And uh, one of the things that they predicted was that uh, they felt that um, everybody, uh, certainly their age group, would go back to old-fashioned phones, so the old Nokias, uh, because they are all fed up with what's going on on social media. They're fed up with being distracted. They can't concentrate. They're fed up with socializing with people who just look at their phones and don't actually talk to the people who they are you know, in the bar with or in the coffee bar with. And so they're increasingly fed up with that themselves. So they, in fact, one of them in the lecture went on to eBay and was shopping for an old Nokia phone. Um, and by the end of the lecture, it bought one. So, um, yeah, that's that's one thing. I think we're going to see some things going backwards. Uh, so, for example, um, at the moment, there are people trapped, unable to return to the UK, or people who've been unable to fly out of the UK because they haven't got the right paperwork. Now, the paperwork they need to travel at the moment is complex. The website, the government website, is also complex, and it's difficult to wade your way through all the different regulations. Um, however, travel agents are trained to work their way through flight regulations. Uh, they know all about them, and we're seeing a resurgence in the use of travel agents. So the internet brought along a process called disintermediation. Mm. That's where we take out the intermediaries. Uh, so this was a fantastic idea, you take out the people in the middle, that means that the people producing something can increase their profits. So, for example, if you were an airline company, you sold all of your seats to effectively, before the internet, about six main travel agency businesses. So they would sell all your seats on your plane. You didn't have to do any of the selling. And then they would take their cut. Whereas using the internet, you can sell directly to customers which means you can lower the price a bit to make it seem as though they're getting a better deal. But because you're not paying travel agents, you can make a bigger profit. Uh, the difficulty for people like British Airways was that you go online. Prior to this, they had only half a dozen clients to relate to because they have the six big major travel agencies. And that's all they had to deal with. Then suddenly they go online and they've got to deal with millions of people. And so going from a business that dealt with just half a dozen relationships, you've now got to manage relationships with millions. It caused huge problems for British Airways when they switched to online. It caused major problems for everybody who cuts out the intermediaries and it brings them into a different business world they were not used to. And it's really costly to run that level of customer service. So actually the airlines would rather they didn't have to do all this online. And now we're discovering that actually the people who are trapped and the people who found travel difficult are realizing the value of a travel agent. So I'm predicting that we are going to see less use of certain online services. Uh, they may have peaked already and we will start going back to some old traditional ways. So even my students are talking about going back to old phones. Looks like people 
Not everyone will, of course, but it looks like people who they've got complicated travel will prefer a travel agent to doing it themselves online. Mm. And actually the businesses themselves will prefer that because that cuts out all of the reason they had intermediaries was because it means that there was somebody else to take the headache away from dealing with millions of customers. No, I get that. But this is all pushing costs up, Graham. And of course, uh, everyone says there's going to be no inflation, but uh, the price of everything is going up like a rocket, particularly containers from uh, China, which I understand have gone up eight times in the last four months. So uh, there's going to be roaring inflation, isn't there? Whatever Boris says. We got Justin on in November, so I'm going to pin him to the wall, but I can't see any way we won't have inflation. Well, the, the Bank of England predicted 4% by the end of the year, and then they added the words, or higher. <laughs> so it's quite important that the Bank of England is really hedging its bets in terms of its inflation prediction. So they're predicting 4% or higher. Um, I've spoken to some of the economists here, and they've said they wouldn't be surprised if we got double-digit inflation. Yeah, I wondered that. That means we should borrow some money then, doesn't it, if that's the case? Yeah. Because the cost of borrowing will actually be devalued. Okay, um, yep. right. Okay, so um, that's the internet. What about emails, Graham? I emails. Can't work out just, why mine keep going missing. Yours keep going missing because you're using um, a company that I've told you I don't know how many times not to use. Yeah, it begins with A and ends in full. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> You mean, Apple, with, you mean uh, Apple for a people that didn't couldn't yeah, work that one yeah. out? Yep. So, yeah, d d dreadful products. Yeah, I, I used to use the biggest company in the world, Graham. I just wanted to remind you by market cap. Yeah, by market capitalization, by market share, the smallest. So um, they've got the smallest market share in the computing sector. So don't worry about it. Yeah, they're they're diddly squat in importance in the computing world. They'd like to think they're much more important, but they're not. Now they can argue from a business sense, of course, that they've got fantastic market capitalization and they've got loads of cash squirreled away in offshore islands so that if all does go belly up, there's no problem. Yeah, so from a, a business sense, that's fine. From a design sense, everything else is fine. But from a practical sense of how it integrates with other businesses, that's the problem. Yeah, so it doesn't integrate very well. That's why sometimes your emails don't go. Yeah, so you should be using Gmail. But you said 30% were going missing. Is that still the case or is that's not really the case? Yeah, load, loads of emails go missing. Yep. And that's just because it's overloaded the internet. And that's what... because the, there's too many queues on the internet. So the data is just, you know, crashing into the servers. So the servers at the... Um, internet service providers that you use are just getting so much data that what it does is it gives up. It says, I can't wait for this any longer because I've got more data coming in. So we should just send it again then. That's the answer. Yep. If you don't get an answer after a day or two, just uh, just resend it and keep your head down. Yep. Otherwise you think people are being rude to you. Okay, that's good yep. to know. That's still good to know. And in your newsletter today, you said if you want to get noticed on the uh, internet, you have to keep putting content up. Is is that still right? Yeah, you've got to produce stuff. Um, in fact, the, the this was a piece of research that looked at how people remembered after they were had passed away, and it was looking at famous people. And actually, famous people don't get remembered for very long, so it's a surprise um, that how long do people get remembered? So most famous people 
uh, only get remembered for a year after they, uh, and it fades off after some after a few months actually. So once they've passed away, uh, a year or so later, unless they're very very famous for doing something, uh, they tend not to be remembered. Uh, and what it what it shows us is that those people who are remembered for a lot longer are the people who've produced lots of content. They're the people who've written loads and loads of books. They've produced lots of TV programs or movies. Uh, they've produced lots of material for the business they work in. You know, lots of internal documents, lots of processes that the business will use. The people who produce the most content are the ones who are remembered more than anything else. And actually that ties in with Google because Google published new research again a couple of weeks ago, which shows us that actually is the amount of content that you produce that really, really matters. And so the more content um, you produce, uh, the more you're gonna be remembered. Does that mean posting more on LinkedIn, which is clearly the big business social media? I see some of uh, the people on the show today um, post on LinkedIn sporadically in different ways. Um, I've got lots of content I could post. I'm not sure how relevant it is, but um, I could put loads of, you know, my old training material up there. Um, would that get me noticed more? Uh, yeah, I mean, it depends what your strategic view is. You know, what, why, why are you using LinkedIn? So what's the strategy behind it? So if you're using LinkedIn so that you can connect with people on LinkedIn to generate, you know, business leads, that's fine. Um, that. Yeah, but, that's it. But if they're, if your potential business isn't on LinkedIn, there's no point in posting on LinkedIn. Um, so there's a, an American um, professional speaker uh, called Tom Antion, who was one of the first people to think about the whole world of online marketing. And I remember him telling me uh, that actually, if you want to get run over by the traffic on the internet, you have got to stand uh, as he said, in the middle of the highway. There's no point, in, in his words, in standing on the sidewalk. Um, so you're not going to get run over unless you're in the direct line of the traffic. So it's no good being on LinkedIn because uh, you're on the sidewalk to people who are on Facebook. So you need to be where the, where the traffic is. Yeah, but hang on a minute. I thought Facebook was history and I thought that Facebook was just for people showing their photographs and where they've been on holiday or where they think they're going on holiday and upsetting other people who haven't been on holiday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but the fact there's still significant amounts of business that goes on on Facebook. Okay. Uh, but one more than goes on on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is tiny in comparison to Facebook. I mean, it, it really is. So um, even though um, Facebook has more uh, people, you know, sharing holiday pictures and all that kind of stuff, uh, actually, because there are in any, you know, day or so, uh, 2.1 billion people using it, whereas LinkedIn, you're lucky if a couple of hundred million people are using it. So dramatic, dramatic difference in numbers. So even though proportionally on LinkedIn, uh, on um, Facebook, Facebook yeah. it's lower in terms of business, actually in terms of the actual numbers is much greater. Okay, and then there's Instagram. John Baker's always uh, posting uh, the sunset in Swanage on Instagram. Um, I'm not sure what that does his business any good, but it's a great picture. Is that a waste well, guess, of time? No, because it gets you and me to like it. So. <laughs> oh, so likes count. The likes go, you know. I mean, I like well, they it. do because 
they do because from that you know very poorly intelligent as a worm algorithm it just means that automatically then that whatever john posts is more likely to be seen by you and me because if you've liked one thing they assume you like everything that that person posts which is not always true of course mm. um, but uh, the assumption in the algorithm is that uh, so yeah it's good for john because it means that then when he does post something which is of commercial interest we're going to see it okay he's I'm not going to he's shaking his head i can see him shaking his head yeah. Well, Will Kintish always posts his cartoons. He's got some really good networking cartoons and he posts those. I don't know whether he posts that on every site there is or do you just post it on a couple of sites? What's the best thing to do there? And Alex well, Kent's yeah. advertising his, um, his, um, his business group as well, I see, quite often. Yeah. Um, we know, for those of you who don't know, but Will's brand, uh, everything has cartoons in it some really good cartoons throughout everything he's produced um, and so that's will's brand so uh, to post them on his on linkedin is clearly continuing to establish his brand um, and so that's really good for him um, but it's no good for him posting them on linkedin if the people he wants to meet aren't on linkedin i know for will they will be um, so clearly that's the right strategy so you're going to have to put your content where your people, the people you need to meet are. Mm. Some people put it everywhere though, don't they? But Google doesn't, yeah. Google doesn't like that? No, it doesn't mind. Yeah, it does, doesn't mind. Um, it's not really bothered too much with what you put on social media. It's about what you put on blogs, on websites and so on, that that's what Google is much more interested in. Um, what you put on social media is not really going to bother it very much. Okay. Okay, well, let's turn to books. Thirty-three books. I've got one of yours here. Sales Genius. Is that still uh, is that still uh, doing well? Still selling. Yeah, still doing well. Yep. That's great. Won't make you rich, I don't think. Nor will mine. But uh, what's the new one about, Graham? Uh, the new one is called Studying Online. So it's all about how to study um, digitally using the internet, not going into you know, traditional lectures. Yeah, but don't students just cut and paste uh, something from Wikipedia? Not my students. <laughs> you did tell no, me. That. I mean, there, there is a problem with plagiarism. Yeah, people wanting to copy and paste, but we've got some sophisticated tools to get our way around that. Yeah, you said there's some plagiarism tools, but they've, uh, they've gone wrong, haven't they? And, you know, caused yeah. a few problems. Yeah, they have, but on the whole... I mean, it's pretty easy to, to spot. And it, it depends also on the university. So here at Buckingham, you know, we're relatively small uh, and we know all of our students. And when you go to some of the much bigger universities, the lecturers won't know their students. They've got 500 in a class, so they won't know that student. Whereas I know my students and therefore I know the kind of thing they're going to write. So I will know their writing style. So I'll know if they've copied because it's not their usual stuff. Mm -hmm. okay okay um supply chain is the supply chain issues at the moment and i see bus drivers are being headhunted by haulage firms you can't get a bus in guildford on saturday because they've been disappearing um, <laughs> is that is that a cause of the, is that a cause of the internet is that a cause of covid or is that just a cause of um you know just um the world's catching up and paying people that do um do modest jobs properly 
uh, the, there's a multitude of causes. One of the causes is our inability to predict things. Yeah, so what I was teaching today. So for example, in the haulage industry, actually we knew this was going to be a problem. Now Brexit is part of the problem. Yeah, so we know there's 100,000 drivers missing from the UK. 27,000 drivers were European who went back to Europe. So we know that proportion. Yeah, that still leaves 73,000 from the UK. But actually we could have predicted those 73,000 even without Brexit were going to leave because we knew how old they were. We knew how old they were 30 years ago. So most lorry drivers are in their 50s and 60s. Wow. Wow. So it doesn't take anybody with much sense to work out that they are going to retire in five, 10 years time. So five, 10 years ago, you knew that 73,000 lorry drivers were going to disappear from working for you because they were going to retire. So, that, so we knew that, but no government or organization did anything about it back then. And so then you end up with the problem now. So we, we face the, this is about in your business, for example, and anybody here's business, what do you know about the people you work with, the suppliers you've got? You know, each of you will depend on different suppliers with different things. Think about, you know, what's the age of the people working at your suppliers? Are they going to retire in three years time? And if they are, what are you going to do about it now? It's no waiting three years time till your key supplier has disappeared and gone off to, I don't know, where would they go to? The Turks and Caicos Islands? I don't know. Yeah, probably. Yeah, they, most, yeah. most people go there. <laughs> you know, they could have gone off, you know, or they could have gone off to visit the only clock like uh, Big Ben in Texas. You know, they could have done all kinds of things and left you in the lurch. So we often don't like predicting. This is one of the things we don't like doing about the future. We don't like predicting the future because when you predict the future and you forecast the future, uh, you know that you're not necessarily accurate, but all the time the future means that there is an end. And so psychologically, your brain is not wanting you to predict the future because it realizes that there is an end to your future. And so it stops you thinking about that for very long. Now, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, and governments don't like it either, do they? Because uh, clearly their policies are going to be wrong at that point. Well, yeah. And also they're only worried about the future of four or five years time for the next election. So yeah. they don't think about. So, you know, 10 years ago when the lorry driver problem was known, no government did anything about it because they were worried about the election four years on from that. They're not worried about what happens six years after the next election. Yeah, no, no, I get that. I get that uh, totally. We've got a few questions in the chat yeah, box yeah. that I'm going to fire at you. Um, Alex says, how do we know emails are going missing? He thinks these aren't going missing. Well, I guess he doesn't know which ones have gone missing, really. But uh, what's your answer to that? I mean, you've no evidence that uh, the other person hasn't received it uh, because they may have not received it. So unless you've asked every single person you've ever sent an email to did you receive my email um, then they may not have received it we know they're not being sent because we know the amount of traffic that's going to email servers and we know the amount of traffic at email servers that gets stopped and it all gets forgotten uh, so each email server will have a time set on it by the internet service provider that says 
you know, I can't wait any longer for this email because the email, when you send an email, the email you send is not sent as one email. It is sent as hundreds of different items and those hundreds of different items have to be joined together. And so um, at the other end, um, so all those little items, uh, your email is broken up into tiny little fragments when you press the send button. Those tiny fragments, you know, two or three fragments go together and then the other you know, five fragments might not follow for a few more milliseconds, allowing some fragments from somebody else on the email system to come in the pipeline between your fragments. And so what's happening yeah, is- Okay, that I mean, that's, that's the process, but- um... Yeah. Certainly when, when stuff gets held up or when it's undeliverable, I get a message from my email provider. Yep. But what's the actual data that says a third of, or where's the data that says a third of emails are not getting delivered? So the data comes from surveys that look at all of the, um, not, it's not bounce backs, it's the amount of time that's given up. So one email company might say with, we'll stop accepting any more of that data coming in after 24 hours. Another might say 48 hours. How, what proportion of those emails did they not take into the queue because the queue gave up? So in other words, it just gave up. Some email companies will report that to you. Some email companies don't. So the data is just from surveys looking at what proportion of things didn't get through because they timed out. Okay. So we never know that. Rachel wants to know why a lot of her business emails from clients are going to spam. Uh, all kinds of reasons why things go to spam. So you may have a spam filter where the settings are set so strictly that um, they're um, going into spam. You may uh, not have whitelisted them. So if you put everybody into your email spam whitelist, they will go through and it will um, ignore them. Uh, it could be that they are perceived as spammy. So for example, both Microsoft and Google are now perceiving emails as spammy if you don't have um, the relevant authorities attached to the emails. So if they haven't got uh, DKIM uh, and they haven't got uh, those kind of assurances, those technical assurances attached to the email, uh, that makes it more likely that both Microsoft and Gmail, which are the two biggest email providers, um, it makes it more likely that they will divert it into spam because they can't check the authenticity. Um, and I think I said last time that a lot of people haven't got uh, their authenticity for their emails set up right. And as a result, if your clients haven't done that, they'll end up in spam. I didn't have that, Graham, did I? And um... You talked to Keith for me, and he set that up on the back end of my emails. Um, that was about six months ago. Okay. Yeah, so now, now I get your emails, except your company decides not to send them because it's you. Yeah, I know. Well, no one likes me, do they? But um, anyway, let's keep moving because Paul Coleman in the Turks and Caicos says, "How, how, so how will your business be noticed on Facebook amongst all the rubbish?" Yeah, that's a good question. Well, the, the only thing I'd say uh, to Paul is if that he's seeing lots of rubbish, uh, that means he must have liked that rubbish before, um, because otherwise Facebook wouldn't be serving it to you. So Facebook is serving to you what your activity suggests you want to see. That's the uh, algorithm. So if you're seeing stuff that you don't want to see, 
that's because you've engaged with stuff before um, that you didn't want to see. Uh, and the trouble is the, the stupid algorithm thinks that because you have seen it, you like it, and therefore it will continue to send it to you. So one of the, one of the crucial things is to only engage with things that you truly want to see. When people do that, then the algorithm is filtering the good stuff for you. Does that mean that you need to unfriend a lot of people? Could probably. do, yeah. Yeah, it probably means that, doesn't it? Yeah. Think about it. If you're going yeah, to filter, review your list, filter your, um, you know, get unfriend people, get rid of them out of your, your list, stop following people that are irrelevant to you because the algorithm will work against you otherwise. Okay, well, before I turn the recording off, um, uh, let's just see if we've got uh, a couple of very short, sharp questions from anybody. Um, I'm just going to, whilst you do that, Derek, I'm just going to say, looking at it from the other way round, yeah, so I've suggested how Paul can you know, see less rubbish. It's about how his stuff could be seen in the rubbish of people who haven't done that filtering. So how do you get noticed? So what we do know is that two things get noticed more on uh, Facebook, and those are moving images. So in other words, put videos in or GIFs. So those things grabs people attention much more. Um, so make sure as many of your messages have either got a GIF or they're a video. Those two things appear to be the things that grab people's attention most on Facebook. So if you're trying to find yourself, be found amongst the rubbish, then use GIFs and videos. And you mean GIF, don't you? You don't mean what GIF. I meant, which was a gift, but um, you don't mean... Not it. a gift, no, uh, okay. a GIF. Just so one case, of those little moving images. Just in case anybody else was on the uh, same thoughts as me. We've got a question before we turn the uh, recording off. If not, I will stop it. Graham, will you stay on for us and answer yeah. any questions? Come back and see us in a few months time as well and um, share a few things. So if you give Graham a clap in the usual uh, Monday, Monday night way, that would be fantastic. Graham, you've been brilliant as always. Uh, so many answers. When we worked together in the speaking association, I didn't understand some of the things you said, but you were, <laughs> you were generally right, even though I didn't like the answers. Um, thanks very much. And how do people get hold of you if they want to... Uh, Want any advice or consultancy? Uh, so they can get me at graham at grahamjones.co.uk. Brilliant. Or on Brilliant. LinkedIn, Facebook. Or any other new social media that crops up over the next uh, few weeks or few months. Uh, yeah, I'm not on TikTok. Graham Jones. You won't, see, you, you won't see me dancing on TikTok. Graham, thanks for joining us. If you like this on YouTube or you're uh, listening to this on the Negotiators podcast, please like it, please contact Graham or please contact me. Thanks for watching.